reading this morning is Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 23. That's uh, 1183 in the Pew Bibles and 1872 in the Bible I'm reading from, large print Bible. Colossians 2, 13 to 26. When you were dead in your sin and in this uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. This is the word of the Lord. A few months ago, I was traveling uh, up the M3 as one does, and there was quite heavy traffic. And I could see in the rear view mirror that there was uh, a car weaving in and out, and the closer it got, I I realized it was going at very, very fast. And sure enough, it just absolutely flew past us and and continued to kind of weave in and out the traffic. And you, you, you know, you do the usual tut tut. If only the police, where are the police? But about 20 minutes later, I, further up the M3, uh, this car was on the hard shoulder, and there was a car behind it with a blue flashing light, and the driver of the car was in the police car. The reason it's etched on my mind is that I have to confess the amount of pleasure that that brought me. <laughs> um, I think I drove all the way back to, to Farnham with a grin on my face. And it is this sense of justice and fairness that's part of, actually, our British cultural identity, isn't it? Uh, it's, it's, it's the sense of getting what we deserve, and, and alongside the notion that there's no such thing as a free lunch. And I think it is this that makes it quite difficult for us to accept the idea of grace and in particular, God's extravagant grace. 
And these new followers of Jesus at Ephesus and Colossae and the other places that, that Paul wrote to found it as difficult as we do to get their head around this idea of the grace, a gospel of grace, that I can be accepted, wholly accepted by God, just as I am. No preconditions, not even a DBS check. And these first followers of Jesus and the church right down through the centuries have found it impossible to resist the temptation of adding entry requirements to the kingdom of God. Sometimes they're explicit, and sometimes they're more subtle, they're unspoken, but they're there. And sometimes, and you need to take this in the context of everything that I will say, sometimes they're so preoccupied with sin and guilt that it seems almost impossible to receive grace but hear me out on that. The message of this part of Paul's letter is this, verse 13, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Therefore, he says, verse 16 and 18, do not let anyone judge you. Do not let anyone disqualify you. That's the message of this part of the letter. There were some, you see, at Colossae, according to Paul, who were what we might call self-appointed judges. These people said that to be a true follower of Jesus, that you really needed to obey the Jewish uh, Sabbath and regulations and food laws and all that went with that, the monthly celebrations. And such people were inclined, therefore, to judge others according to those standards. And then there were others who were self-appointed umpires, and they were the people who sought to disqualify others. And, and this time, on the basis of their failure to share in some kind of mystical or spiritual experience, a sort of super-spirituality of some sort that uh, Paul, in effect, turns on its head and says is actually unspiritual. So there is, therefore, according to Paul, a real danger of confusing what appears to be supernatural with what is truly spiritual. And Paul goes on to suggest that such people are puffed up <laughs> and, in effect, all they've discovered in these so-called mystical experiences as a set of imaginary fantasies. So what's Paul's remedy to all this? How do we deal with it? How are the Colossian believers and how are we to resist those who judge us or seek to disqualify us? Now, we cannot stop such people attempting to judge us and disqualifying us. So I think Paul, what Paul must mean is, how do we equip ourselves to resist these accusations? Paul returns time and time again 
to the idea of being in Christ, or at times you have died with Christ. In chapter, uh, verse 1 of the chapter, earlier in the chapter that we had read, you have been raised with Christ. Or in this passage, as we, as we listen to, God made you alive with Christ, all on the same theme. Now, we talked about, a lot about this in Ephesians. And in fact, um, Janie uh, took a whole, practically a whole sermon on this subject. But as Paul returns to it time and time again, I think we probably need to do the same and keep reminding ourselves of what this really means. See, with this inbuilt sense of justice and fairness, we find it difficult to, to accept the idea that when I come to Christ in penitence and faith, that I am truly forgiven, that I am truly accepted, without first having to do something to earn it. It's difficult to grasp that. Acceptance is very important to us, and the older I get, the more I, I think I become aware of this. Right from the school playground, to family life, to friends and colleagues at work, to the, to the place of work, the, 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 the reassurance of acceptance is so, so important. And at times, that sort of sinking feeling of not measuring up to the mark runs very deep in us and the fear of rejection. And the solution that we're offered in our world is self-congratulatory hype in a culture of self-esteem. What God offers us in Christ is radically different. He offers us the gift of grace. As Lewis Smedes puts it so beautifully, God offers us the gift of being accepted without being acceptable. God offers us the gift of being accepted without being acceptable. This can be hard to grasp. And even when we've grasped it in principle, in our head, it can be very difficult to actually truly internalize it and experience it and know it to the deepest part of our being. Jonah struggled with it. You remember the Old Testament story? And when he, after a fairly eventful journey, arrived at Nineveh and preached the message that God had instructed him to preach, that in 40 days the city would be overthrown, the city would be destroyed, the people repented. And at the end of chapter 3 in Jonah, we're told that God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, and he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. So what did Jonah do? The very next verse in chapter 4, I love, I love this little phrase. To Jonah, this seemed wrong. <laughs> to Jonah, this seemed wrong. But the interesting thing is that his theology is absolutely sound because this is what he said to God after that. He goes on to say, I know, addressing God, I knew 
that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. So he got angry even though he knew in his mind that this was the sort of God that he worshipped. He had yet to experience that grace of God firsthand. He'd yet to fully grasp it, so he got angry. He had yet to accept a God and understand a God who accepts before we're acceptable. Back to Paul. It's important to recognize the fact that God accepts us, when God accepts us by grace, it does not minimize the seriousness of sin or the predicament that we're in because of it. There's an interesting verse in 1 Peter chapter 2 when Paul, Peter says this of Jesus in verse 23. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Why? Was it because he just said, well, you know, let's, let's just forget it. It doesn't really matter. I just, I just want to forgive you and, and move on. No, this is what Peter said. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Sin matters. God is just. And if so, how can then God accept us before we're acceptable? How can it happen? God made you alive in Christ. He forgave all our sins. How can that be so? Where is the justice in that? Well, that's exactly what Paul goes on to explain. And he goes on to speak of our legal indebtedness being nailed to the cross. What a, what a powerful image. Jesus, as the representative of us, his people, suffers, dies the death on the cross for us, such that in his death, they and us need never die again. And Paul says to the Christians at Colossae, God made you alive with Christ. In, his, in Jesus' death and resurrection, what is true of Christ is true of us. What Luther called the wondrous exchange. When God looks on Jesus' death and resurrection, we are there with him. We have died. We have risen again. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. 
That's why the grace of God can pour into our lives. You see, we're right. There is no such thing as a free lunch. Our sin is forgiven not because it doesn't matter, but because Jesus has dealt with it on the cross. And as far as God is concerned, I died with him and rose with him and am alive with him because of what he's done. Paul never ceased to be amazed by this message. And nowhere does he articulate it more beautifully, of course, than in, in, in Romans. And when he's in full flow and, and, and on this, he, then he says this familiar passage, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor anything present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ, in, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that amazing? Accepted, secured, loved, forgiven, amazing grace. God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you. Do not let anyone disqualify you. Of course, how we live matters. But as Tom Wright puts it so clearly, God accepts us as we are, but he doesn't want to leave us as we are. In my Bible, the title for the next passage beginning of, the, of chapter 3 is this, living as those made alive in Christ. So next week is about the, he doesn't want to leave us as we are, but this section of the letter is about being accepted, accepted, accepted as we are, and letting that really sink into our minds. Perhaps this message of grace is new. For some, it's quite familiar ground. And what I'm speaking of is not just a matter of grasping an orthodox theology of atonement, however important that is. I'm talking about something much deeper, of knowing it, experiencing it in my heart, in every part of my being, to know that I'm accepted. And perhaps some of us need to discover or rediscover what it means deep down to be accepted, to be loved, to be forgiven by the one whose acceptance of us matters most. Do you really know that deep down? God invites us this morning to receive his grace, to receive this amazing grace. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins. He accepts us as we are, the whole package. He doesn't accept part of us. 
No regard for beauty or ugliness or virtues or vices, the whole deal. He takes us as we are. Accepts us with no possibility of being rejected. There is no possibility of that. We're accepted. Accepted before we are acceptable. Shall we pray? In a moment of stillness, can we just ask the Lord by His Spirit just to fill us anew with His love and grace, to know deep down that we are accepted in Him. and to fill us with the joy of his salvation. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? We are accepted with no possibility of being rejected. And we're accepted before we are acceptable. God made you alive in Christ. He forgave all our sins. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace.